It's so exciting to see you. Welcome back to America. What a summer. <laughs> this is summer of love. It has been, man. I've been getting so much hatred in my DMs about us not recording. I know, but I all deserved, all well deserved. That's the thing. Who's it directed at though? Me or you? Or I, I mean, I get it. I get it a lot too. Do you? Of, yeah, of just straight up dropping the ball. I mean, I don't know that it was dropped necessarily. But it was. Well, it was completely dropped. It was dropped by your sick child. But there was that. I mean, that was the initial drop. There was multiple drops. Yeah. If we would have done that, if we would have done that show, would that have been okay? Was that all we needed? Do we just drop one? Is we that how tenuous? Dropped, probably dropped a few. That's what I feel. Yeah. We dropped more than one. I take fully take fifty percent. I take my fifty percent of the blame. Oh man, I take my. I'll take my fifty point one. Uh, where were you? I just got back from Europe, from uh, Copenhagen and Paris. What the heck, man? Yeah. What were you doing? Just having fun. Just Fam- doing it. Vacation. Yeah, we have we have friends in Copenhagen, so family friends. So have the kids been before? Yeah, they, okay. we we did kind of the same thing last summer. So this has become now the we're becoming the tradition. The summer summering in Copenhagen. Pretty fancy, dude. Have you been to Copenhagen? No. Copenhagen is exceptional. Really? Oh my goodness. I mean, I should talk it down. I should real really surf dog. Blow smoke. Yeah, it's Copenhagen sucks. That's a terrible place. <laughs> you shouldn't a, have even geotagged it right it's now. It's a terrible place with terrible food. Um, no, I've been to Western... West, like, I'm going Portugal and Italy next month. Okay. Um, so I've done kind of that Western Europe a bunch. But never up to Scandi? Mostly, like, places with coastlines, that surfable coastlines. Denmark's got all kinds That's of coastlines. That's yeah, true. That's true. I don't really think of it for surfing. I don't know that they do have surfing, but they have beautiful beach. Yeah. Beautiful beaches. I mean, horrible, ugly, hideous beaches. Do the kids fully appreciate it? Yeah. Okay. Completely. Yeah. Okay, good. Especially, I mean, it's such an awful culture where you just ride bikes every day. And so the kid just goes on the bike and sees this hideous city through, yeah. And so, yeah. the, The kids, it's nothing but awesome times for them. Well, we are recording live at Album Surf in San Clemente. It's the most beautiful, again, I say it every time we're here, the most beautiful surf shop and and or like board facility totally you see more than me but this one it's like art here it's the best yeah um so the surfing heritage and culture center that normally hosts us isn't open quite yet so our good friend matt parker shaper extraordinaire board builder extraordinaire founder of album surf was kind enough to open the doors and let us in but he's also walking in the room with three boards you might you might uh know of matt parker he put a surfer that you now know from him named josh kerr on the map without (laughs) i didn't put josh on the map (laughs) i didn't start paying attention to josh until he actually started just kidding josh (laughs) kerr is such a fine surfer but looks so dang good on albums doesn't he he has been having fun yeah that's for sure yes i mean looking real good on albums yeah so we at beach grit as you know if you go to Beach Grit and when you go to Beach Grit, do the anonymous board test where we have a surfer who's anonymous. Does everybody know who the surfer is? He's supposed to be anonymous. I don't even know who it is. Oh, sweet. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't mention here. I was just wondering if people tacitly knew who he was. But we have a famous professional surfer who surfs these boards in a mask. And then uh, Long Tom provides also will surf them and provide the review. So you get to see the board in action and you get to read about the board. And we have three... I mean, stunning boards right now. These are not going to make it to Australia, unfortunately. <laughs> well, this, one of them's supposed to stay here. This the uh, perfect. Okay, yeah, one's for Epic. here, and Epic. then uh, the goofies for Long Tom, and the regular foots for 
Anon. Oh man, this is really, really, really exciting. Can you? Okay, so we'll have pictures of these sure. uh, on the site. But Matt, can you explain these or walk me through these boards real quick? So it's our disasim model, which is our. It's the same one Dane wrote in this electric acid thing, and it's it's kind of our performance asymmetrical short board, but has way more range than a shortboard has. I think you, I don't know if you've ridden that one. I haven't read, I had this, I haven't ridden this one yet, no. Okay. Yeah. So that's what it is, but it's like a performance board, twin on the toe side, quad on the heels, and we've got two regulars and one goofy. That's a version. Uh, and what, what, describe, what is the board supposed to achieve or what is the board going for? Uh, it's meant to go really fast. I found for average guys, it generates speed a lot easier than normal boards and it just turns easier. So average guys like normal surfers really feel the advantage of it. Um, pros can rip on anything and so they obviously can shred on it. But for a normal guy to jump on something, if they've been riding a short board, you instantly feel like you can go faster and you can roll over a turn much easier. Uh, I think these will be our the first asymmetricals in the um, anonymous board tests. Yeah, so that'll as be far fun. as I know. Yeah, it'll be fun to see them go. I'm really actually totally excited to see how our anonymous surfer rides these boards. I'm psyched to see Long Tom have a have Oh, a man, long, <laughs> That's what I was... long Tom's review. I can't wait to, I mean, you... Exactly. I cannot wait to to read his review of an asymmetrical board. Yeah, it's like I don't poetry. Think he, I don't think he does them normally. Uh, what's Josh Kerr done for your business? Um, Josh has really helped validate alternative boards. I think so much for so long, alternative boards were kind of seen as on the side and yeah. something fun to toy around with. But he's really just validated them that you can surf and do whatever you want to do and actually have more fun yeah. riding alternative equipment. So I, I don't think I've ever seen such a successful transition for both entities. Like somebody transitioning out of a world tour kind of pro career. Maybe when Tom Curran left and did the search, there was mm -hmm. a great example. But at the same time, your boards and asymmetrical boards as a whole thing were kind of starting to get acceptance. But it he helped catapult it into mainstream. Yeah. Like from what you're saying into mainstream, but it also elevated his surfing in a way. Like he was surfing great on tour, but now it's just kind of more interesting. He was one of five or 10 guys on tour surfing the way that he was to the degree that he was. And now he's kind of in his own realm, completely playing jazz and it's rad. And the boards are allowing him to do it in a way that he wasn't before. Yeah, I agree. It's been, it's, it's been fun too, because, uh, you you just see him. Um, I don't even know. I've, I've lost lost my train of thought. But I mean, to, to David's point, like I think Josh Kerr was one of those tour surfers who, like, when he had his good days, you know, you realize how how epic he is. I mean, he's like a cat on his feet, right? The stuff he would do on tour, and then you could also, or I don't know that this is necessarily true, but it felt like he didn't care about competition maybe as much as he should have in order to you know, really win consistently, like that he was there for a good time. And so putting him on good time boards, I feel like this is the perfect marriage. I, I'm having so much fun watching Josh, uh, you know, on his Instagram and just, he goes and wins, you know, whatever the Maldives thing and all this kind of like what he's doing. He's the kind of surfer that I think is the most aspirational surfer yeah. around right now. Like, yeah, completely. And you can't aspire to be John John or whatever, right? Or and who wants to aspire to be Gabriel Medina or some <laughs> like Jim Rat, you know, working real hard surfing. Josh looks like he's having the most fun ever. Uh, yeah, which is I think he's yeah. he's 
the surfer of the people. So I'm so glad the people surfer rides album. I, I caught my train of thought. What I was meaning to say was he's brought like a professional level of scrutiny and like, oh, okay. bo- like raising the bar on alternative equipment. And so you have, he's viewing it through like a world tour perspective where little details make a huge difference and applying that to boards that are traditionally more throwaway style of boards. It really elevates. Yeah those alternative boards um obviously we're sitting at hq in san clemente for album but you also just opened up manufacturing in australia and i think a retail shop too yeah we're working on a little bit of a retail space right now but we have production i've been over there a couple times in the last couple months and been making a bunch of boards and where is that on the gold coast okay right there in tweed and cool it's awesome so anybody who wants to buy boards in australia now can get them Mm-hmm. without being shipped across the exactly yeah. yeah yeah okay cool anything else coming up for album that you want to pitch uh no just uh off the air there's exciting things happening yeah. that we can't discuss yet but exciting news in the next couple months perfect for sure all right cool thanks Matt, thanks so much there's spins too fantastic here let's switch mics epic 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 all right boys hey thanks for the space yeah, yeah. all right um I'm jealous, dude. Look at those even, boards. So even though like I've been friends with Matt longer than you, yeah. you get more boards than I get. Man. Or you just don't give them back. I, the that's, that's the thing. I See, honor my commitment of like two weeks and then I return the loaner. I'm telling you. You got it for like a year while you're injured and it's sitting in your garage. It is words that I live by are better to ask forgiveness than yeah. permission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you mind pulling that shade down? Sure I'm getting won't. completely blinded. Blinded by um, the light. All right, so dude, there's... A bunch of a bunch of things happening in surf news that we need to discuss. We gotta get to them quick. We gotta hammer them. There's so much to discuss. We have you, no time for dilly dallying. So Kelly's gonna compete in the Olympics. Mick tears an ACL. He's gonna be out for six to twelve months. Bunch of online bullying and surf fights. Let's start with an Elo progress report. Mm-hmm. Let's get it. We're midway through the season with Elo. Midway. We've uh we wanted to really vilify Elo at the beginning of the season, sure. and uh, we failed once we actually recorded with him. Yep, really fell fell face first down in the mud puddle. Got lulled into his graces, dude. Yep. He has a charmer. He's a charmer, snake charmer. I really didn't see it happening at the time, but the internet sure <laughs> made, made it clear to us. Let us know. <laughs> um, so anyways, progress report. What have you seen from Elo? We've got... Um, a bunch of new series that the WSL is putting out video production stuff. We have a we have a Rolling Stone collaboration. How do you feel about the Rolling Stone collab? And is that Elo's responsibility? I'd have to. I mean, he is, in fact, the president of Comedia Content and Studios, and right. that is that's would fall into the purview of content and media because it's right? a video series that's mm-hmm. sponsored by Rolling Stone. I don't. I have no fucking. Oh, sorry, no we, idea. We're allowed to cuss on here. I mean, I usually don't. So I think it is a video series. The first one is with Cocoho. It's a profile piece. And then Rolling Stones. What I understand the relationship to be is that Rolling Stone then profiles sure. Coco on their platform sure. as well. Exactly. So the video goes on WSL. They also profile on Rolling Stone. So from everything I see, uh, a, lot of, a lot of new content coming out, right? WSL is throwing a lot of content up. I'm not seeing yet uh, them actually put money toward anything. There seems to be like a lot of cross-branding stuff, Mm. a lot of small stuff that they're using their already in-house production to make, right? But there's no, there hasn't been a big idea yet. There's been, I see him nibbling around the edges of making content. Um, I think some of it's okay uh, from what I've seen. 
What are your thoughts on the Rolling Stone collab? Is that a fit for either brand? I mean, I think it's just silly. I think it's it's Rolling Stone is a failed media company. You know, like every year, I'm sure whatever their revenue models, people, it's you know they're. I don't know that they're circling the drain necessarily, but it's an old kind of old media juggernaut that yeah. you know is just those things aren't quick enough usually or able to adjust. Uh, cleanly and so yeah. I just see it as a I see it as a real silly throwaway of like I'm sure Elo read Rolling Stones as a kid and thought it was epic and so yeah man right. this is sick right where really if you want to actually engage I don't know who the next next kind of media company is right now um, you know who I've seen like do the most successful transition into the digital era is Nat Geo yeah exactly like so- Nat Geo when I think about my childhood and going to my grandparents house and they had like this giant library of archived Nat Geo. You could just see the orange or the yellow bindings side by side lined up chronologically. That was the most archaic and also like respected, but just you would never think that they would be able to transition. And now they've got a television network, their Instagram accounts, insane. Totally. I feel the best photographers in the world, the best writers. I feel that Nat Geo, uh, exactly to your point, realized fairly early on that their gold was not in pages their gold was in images and in uh like this this idea of exploration yes that easily translates to you know to television to film to instagram instagram to all of this and they did a really really good job of making of 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 not i feel like you know sticking the idea of exploration in a box right but they let it grow with you know new technology where rolling stone i don't think did that right like See, Rolling Stone got far outstripped quickly by Pitchfork in terms of if you're going to go for an online music review, you don't go to Rolling Stone, right? Never. You go to Pitchfork or I don't even know the other ones. But So it feels like they got la- they didn't figure out what their thing was. They were making magazines and got lapped by an industry, I feel. And it's a this kind of heritage co-branding things. Rolling Stone and the right. WSL just seems like, yeah, maybe a 48-year-old will be like, oh, cool. But... I, I don't know where the I don't know where the benefit is for the WSL certainly I don't know where it is Rolling Stone I guess gets free content and kicked through I'm sure that and gets kicked through the WSL's platform so it's good for them they're gonna get clicks for nothing right uh, I don't know though does it it's problematic for me that it's off brand for them like you said Nat Geo's thing is exploration sure. Rolling Stone's thing is music so why then profile surfers yeah. unless they're trying to pivot into a more kind of a general lifestyle thing i mean i I, know, I would assume that that's what they would say that they've always been right yeah. like oh we do politics and music right, right, right. and culture and all this but it's, they very clearly don't i mean they've done politics and all that and they you know they used to be epic at what they i mean hunter thompson wrote there and i think norman mailer's done stuff i mean they were they were an epic magazine right cameron crow got to start there precisely yeah good good magazine cameron crow we wouldn't have uh <laughs> Almost, almost famous. Almost famous. Yeah. Without More importantly, stuff. Jerry Maguire, <laughs> Vanilla Sky. Yeah, Vanilla, um, Sky. <laughs> Vanilla Sky might be the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, it might be the best movie I've ever seen in my life, man. It is so. It is so bad that it doesn't quite cross into ultra camp. I, I watched it on an airplane recently. In fact, really. Uh, yeah, and so really saw it fresh. You got to go back and watch it again. It thinks, I, I do. It thinks it's so clever. Like the I've amount got, of the I've amount got fond of, memories of it. The amount of cleverness where. Maybe because I remember watching it at the time and not hating it, like not being super inspired. But the like the way it feels clever now is so dumb 
Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a, I mean, it's a dumb He's living in a fever thing. dream. And so as the viewer, you're not sure what's real and what's Precisely. not. It's one of those things. But there's been so many better versions of the fever dream. Club. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All, I mean, hundreds and yeah. hundreds. And so you go back and look at that and it just looks, it's, it's embarrassing. You know what I do like about it though? And this is true. I, I had this thought watching Quentin Tarantino's new movie is putting beautiful people and letting them say like really good dialogue basically like it's it's cinematic in a way just like the most beautiful people you've ever seen saying really funny and cute things on the screen is enjoyable that's so true what real quick i saw uh once upon a time in hollywood quentin's like day back from europe so i was so jet lagged uh so sitting through a five-hour movie i was fading i was in a fever dream myself fading kind of in and out of consciousness uh, what was your review? I loved it. Yeah, really. I gotta loved watch. It. I gotta watch it again. And again, just I mean, so much. I somebody told me they're like, yeah, you know, I was waiting for the plot to kick in, and I thought, huh, I didn't even note it. You're right. That's a ver- that's a fair criticism. Except, who cares? It's a beautiful with great writing, whether it's literature or um, film. Put really interesting characters he does a phenomenal job of like character study and those characters are all so rich and well developed and then make them say really interesting things like the dialogue in pulp fiction about um the royale with cheese you know it's not advancing the story in any way it's just hilarious it's entertaining the uh my one beef with it and again this is from the fever the fever dream chronicles uh is when Tarantino had to use basically kind of not nobody actors, but when he had to go into the scrap heap and get Samuel L. Jackson and um, John, Travolta. John Travolta off the scrap heap, that's what made uh, Pulp Fiction, right? Is yep. those two. And then Bruce Willis was not scrap heap then, but you know, the, the, it's this cast, but a lot of them were misfits. Yep. Now that Quentin Tarantino is Quentin Tarantino and get any actors in the world, he gets the two best leading men in the world, right? Where you have Brad Pitt and. Um, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio, and great, phenomenal acting. Brad Pitt, I think, hit it out of the park. Leo That's hit it. it out of the park, too. The problem is Leo is playing, in the movie, uh, Leo is playing a washed-up actor. Leo, even though he is one of the most phenomenal actors ever, is too good at acting to play a washed-up washed up actor. It's hard, It's really hard to believe in him as washed-up, right? Yeah. Even though he's playing it. He's, too, he's just too at the top of his game. I would have liked to have seen... Tarantino uh, cast another John Travolta, like pull right. somebody surprising yeah. off the dump heap or out of their way. Macaulay Culkin. Precisely. That would have been epic. And Because then you could have felt that, right? There was yeah. no feeling that Leonardo DiCaprio's career was actually going down, yeah. which you, you needed that feeling, I felt, to, to, kind, of, to kind of hold the film. That's a good call. Um, I remember, maybe we even had this conversation on air or off air about I, Tanya, which we both loved. But I was like, Margot Robbie, you can't make her look homely. It's it, it, She's stunning. The exact same beef yeah. that I had with, you're exactly right. I, and I, Tanya, fantastic movie. Yeah. But you needed to cast somebody. Even though, I mean, Margot Robbie, it's just unfortunate that she's too pretty to yeah. be ugly. Right. Except the movie didn't suffer at all in terms of earnings. No, no. It's great. Know, or it's Oscar. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, okay, back to Elo. Have you watched a single episode of Surf Breaks? Hell no. You haven't? No, have you? No. Are they I good? Haven't. 
Have you heard? How, how have you heard things? See, this is the problem with the, and I'll say, this is the problem with the World Surf League's content that they're putting out now. And I, I know they're nibbling around the edges, or it feels that way that they haven't gone all in on anything. There hasn't been this big idea yet. That's yeah. like, you know, boom, this is our big idea. I have not felt felt compelled to watch one minute of it. Yeah, and I'm sitting. It's in, literally one minute, and I'm in surf media. Yeah, you know, all day every day watching all kinds of junk yeah. like it's not that i am over it and you know too cool for it or anything like that or too busy for it uh they just have not put anything out yet that i've said oh and press play because right. i just i honestly don't care it feels like they're i don't they just it feels directionless right it feels like they're still the wsl is still trying to be big tent too many things to too many people and uh, it's just it doesn't certainly doesn't capture me and i would love to hear from listeners is it capturing them right are they when the wsl releases something are the listeners of this show who i would imagine more or less are you know surf donkeys surf what did what did uh what's her name uh oh my stupid brain um rosie what did Rosie call herself in that LA Times story about Chris Cote changing surf slang? Oh, I was didn't it, was even it read it. Was a surf donkey? I forget. Something, whatever yeah, it was. But we well, have we have a surfy audience, right? And if our surfy audience is not compelled to click on stuff, then who is? Which is again my big question. If core surfers aren't into professional surfing, then who is? And maybe the WSL will prove us all wrong by showing, oh, it's the rest of the world is. You guys are just buttholes. Well, so I feel like I do have a fairly good um, understanding of the pulse of what people want because people DM me every single day. They're just sending me a post that they thought was interesting or something that we should talk about on the show. Nobody's once ever sent me the surf breaks videos. So these surf breaks videos are one to two minutes. They're on Instagram. WSL puts one out every single day with a variety of hosts, depending on kind of who's available at the on that given day. And the idea is that it's a recap of the previous day's events. And I see the value in that I, i'm like oh that's a great concept somebody needs to be covering surf news like on the daily beach grid is like other people but like in this video platform where it can just be a condensed distilled version of the the best clip who won what contest is chris is chris cote hosting that one he's one of the hosts oh i thought he was okay they have ivy the girl ivy the comedian girl from down san diego ivy miller i think is her name okay hunter jones which is a south bay surfer Kaipo does a few of them. Yep. Um, so I, I, the concept, I think, is actually really strong. But the execution, there's something lacking in the execution that doesn't compel me to watch. So I'll be scrolling Instagram and I'll see it and it starts and I'll watch it for five, 10, 20 seconds and go, oh, I already saw that clip. Or they also list in the comment or in the caption um, what the stories are going to be. And I'm like, already saw that, already saw that, already saw that, moving on. I mean, the problem with it is, is the WSL, again, has no POV on it or no, like, okay, in, in, order, maybe, in yeah. order for that to be interesting, they would have What's to... What's your take? They would have to have a take and their take, usually for all that stuff, that's why people like Beach Grid or whatever, right? It's like a... Beach Grid is a non-commercial take. I mean, yeah. Stab, Surfer, the rest of them are very clearly... Now, I mean, all it is is advertisement, you know, like the, yeah. the way people used to complain about surf magazines, but it was full of ads. Like now surf online is just full of ads, like every single paid, you yeah. know, placement thing. I mean, what stab, I would say eight out of 10 is a paid post uh, or something, you know, that they're doing commercially, which is all fine and good. Good on them for going to make money. But, but uh, WSL 
you know, that's again, Beachgate, I think, is the one that we can say whatever about anything. We're not getting money yeah. from anyone. So it's, you know, and I think that is exactly and what And the WSO would have to do something like If Chris Cote came out and said, this was awesome and this sucked, this is lame, this is cool, well, you know, whatever, just any point of view. It's just all kind of no positive noise. So comparing WSL to other um, sporting entities, does anybody have a take on things or is the, do you want to just be in the middle? I, I have to think that, uh, that the NBA does a good job of curating um, critical voices uh, for their own okay. NBA TV stuff. Because you have to have critical voices, right? The NFL Network, I don't watch, but it pro- I'm assuming it does. Yeah. Uh, there has to be some kind of critical voice. And by critical, I don't mean negative. I just mean actually looking at the thing critically, yeah. which the WSL never does. They never, never look at anything critically. Well, you're right. So the problem is that their um, commentators are spokespersons for the brand, which is the wrong move. They need to bring in people who are critiques of the sport, critics of the sport, and then speaking their mind precisely about it. like yeah. if you had if you yeah, had that's the exact distinction i mean and it's like you know i know espn is a media thing not a not a uh, sporting entity but like whatever barry the guy who does um the fantasy football thing uh, i can't remember his first name barry yeah. is his last name but he does love hate right where if the where it's his fantasy thing that he loves or a player that he loves and fantasy player that he hates not that he hates the person but right. what they would do for a, a fantasy team right? right where if the wcl had something like that a way to be able to talk critically about things without being negative yep and they just the you know everything of them is like a cloud puffy cloud of joe turpel positivity yep and that's the that's the only brand voice that the wsl has it's everything's cool everything's good look at this neat 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 and it's just this ramping up of how neat everything is which you know elo great guy we both fell in love we both fell under his sway but uh is just this kind of ball of positive energy to himself and i think that's already what the wsl does naturally and so there's just more of this kind of oprah like positivity 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 where i don't know how they how they be what i do like about elo is that he actually embraces the criticism like you've talked crap about him more than anybody but he invited you in to have conversations multiple times sure but if if elo should really put his money where his mouth is and have a beach grit show on the wsl right where derek and i go and pop off or you derek and i go and pop off on really talk openly and honestly about stuff they will never ever ever i don't see that ever happening i don't see them reaching out to us and saying we want you we want this critical voice in our not that i would do it from beach grit you know but like never would we ever be asked and that's exactly the movie should be doing is you we will not edit you you guys say whatever you want but we want this part of the conversation in-house right yeah i mean honestly I wouldn't be surprised if you pitched it to him. I don't know that they would deny the idea. And so that's what I like about Elo is he's at least open to the criticism or he's not personally offended by it. Whereas I feel like other people, I mean, other people in surf media that I've just casually had a critique about get highly offended, send me a crappy text or email. I'm like, dude, why would you say And it's like, no, no, no. That wasn't offensive. It was just critical. It's okay to be critical. We're not enemies Precisely. you know why are you taking everything so personally and then they retaliate or just like uh create distance for the next year or two it's bizarre completely and so and i i agree with you that i think elo understands that but also i don't see anything reflected in the content that's agreed. being produced that, well, sh- that shows that we're you know it doesn't have to be beach girl. what instead of doing a dumbass deal with rolling stone what if they went and they got some of the best surf riders out there right you get yeah. jamie brissick uh sean doherty Derek riley Matt Warshaw, whoever, to get in a room 
and discuss, right? I, I write it all the time on Beach Crit. I really do believe that this is a the golden age of surf riding, mm-hmm. right? Like Finnegan won the Snick and Pulitzer. A surf book won the Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many... I mean, Jamie Brissick, again, is like a man at the height of his artistic powers. There's Matt Warshaw is... All this stuff is happening. None of that, not one of it, not one piece of that is on the WSL, right. which is absolutely ridiculous that they would go do a deal with Rolling Stone before even looking in their own backyard. But it validates the WSL, I think. Like, getting big brands they to think do it collabs, does. they think they it think does. It does. But that's yeah. the problem, is Rolling Stone is not a big brand anymore. No, Rolling Stone was a big brand 20 years ago. Right. So it's like, and it just, to me, it just makes the WSL look really old. Like, really old and outdated. Especially in that, and like their Harley collab too. Like, oh, motorcycle, cool. Where, uh-huh. you know, I don't know how much Harley paid. Maybe it was worth the cost. But, but the WSL sticking itself with middle-aged over-the-hill kind of baby boom brands uh, make the WSL look like a baby boom brand. Yeah. Like it looks, the WSL looks like Rolling Stone and Harley Davidson now, which I is, I heard the, awkward. I heard the CEO of Harley speaking a while back and they were talking about re, you know, positioning themselves as a brand to try to access obviously the youth market who's like afraid of riding motorcycles and all that sort of stuff. So that was part of their maneuver, but I agree. The WSL needs to do what's best for them, not what's best for Harley. Precisely. But I think they're they're kind of desperate for cash at a certain point. A thousand percent. And yeah. and like that's all fine and good, but the the uh, Rolling Stone collab seems like a yeah. real cell phone. So um, surf breaks is obviously a fail, but they can adjust it by getting a critical voice in another series that they're doing is transformed this feels like uh this actually does what you're suggesting they need to do which is invest in creating original content put some money behind it have some this is actually really good do you watch it i've watched one episode i think there's three or four at this point who's who who gets transformed um it's stories about surfers around the world whose names you would never hear. Okay. Like it's actually documentary. Great. Like heartfelt human interest documentary. And Sean Thompson is the host. So they it appears that what they've done is they've empowered filmmakers around the world and they're just like, hey, go create something, send it to us. We'll either buy it or not, essentially. And so um, they're, you know, 20 to 30 minute kind of document mini documentaries, but they're really, really, really well done. Fantastic. Like art you know, uh, filmmaking. Epic. So, yeah. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, 
totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, sound waves. Have you watched sound waves? I've seen it again, but I have not watched it. Yeah, it's also not good. What is it? Is it a, what is the, what's the concept behind so sound waves? The concept is, um, I think they're trying to do one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast a lot over the years, which is tell richer stories about your athletes. Like, get us invested in your athletes. Do they do they actually get deep enough into it to, no. to make it anything other than the, the sound of Joe Trapel fluffy noise? One episode, yes. The others, no. I think there's four episodes. So what the concept for it is, is they um, uh, send a camera crew with one athlete through an event from beginning to end. Okay. So the first one was Seth Moniz on the Gold Coast. Oh, so is it is it kind of like trying to be like behind the lines or whatever? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But the problem is not every athlete has an interesting story through an event. So the Seth Moniz, most of them just become way wayward and aimless and there's no real plot. The one successful one that I talked about or that I said there's one was Jack Robinson uh, on Western at Margaret Star. River, yeah. exactly. And so, what ended up happening organically was that he came up against Felipe Toledo, the most high-performance surfer in the world, at the box on the day of days. And by the way, their heat was scheduled at the best time of day, where the waves were perfect. And so, you have this this epic epic story exactly. th- that happened organically. And because the cameras are track following Jack throughout the event. He's in the parking lot when Felipe Toledo shows up and there's the tension between the two of them and you could see him and you could see Felipe is kind of quaking in his boots, not only because of the waves and Felipe's afraid, but also because he knows Jack's the guy to beat, you know, and, and he is competitive. And sure enough, Jack goes out there and schools Felipe. So it just happened organically that the one guy that they decided to follow around had the best story of the event. But the other episodes have not been that compelling. I mean, that's the thing for something like that. Again, I mean, being a surf journalist for the better part now of 20 years, realize what percentage of surfers are interesting. And it's like point less surfers are interesting than people are in the general population, right? I mean, surfers, and especially at that level, are not very interesting uh, by and large, I will say. Uh, and so if you're the interesting part in any story will be the tension between two, right? But you can't just pick one like Seth Moniz, who's likely going to get dumped out in the first round and have have even expect that there's going to be a story there or something compelling to watch. Right. Moreover, what I don't understand about what the World Surf League is doing is I get it. So there, I mean, I get the the millions of dollars, millions upon millions of dollars that it takes to put on these contests. Contests, and now they're trying to do shoulder content around the contests. Great, you know, we have the surfers, we have all this stuff. Yeah. But by sending one or two cameras in, I mean. It feels like the the lack of investment in the content media side, and I know there's you know they hired Elo and all this, but it feels like there's a real lack of investment, a real lack of money getting put toward anything. They're doing everything on the cheap, and you're going to get cheap content if that's what you're doing. Like, why not throw enough cameras at the event to be capturing content where you can stitch together? You could be capturing you know whoever. Where if the story happens to be oh you know Kolohe versus. Gabe in whatever contest that you had that too, just because you had enough cameras capturing it, you were throwing enough money at the thing to actually get content. The reason why is there's way too many surfers and way too many events. Yeah, I mean, 30, obviously, thirty-two surfers at ten or eleven events throughout the year, you would need camera crew. I mean, isn't would, isn't this crazy that we're still talking about this all these years yeah. later? Of the everybody knows that the easiest and best solution, easiest and best, is to cull cull the herd. 
I've been harping on this after every event throughout this season. I mean, for how the many first, years? For well, how many right, years have we right. been talking about? Completely. Uh, I mean, at but least I feel five. Like this year, it's especially egregious to me that the first two days of an event, we lose four because they've restructured the way the elimination round. So we require two days of resources expended to lose four to surfers. lose four surfers whose names are completely inconsequential, not only to winning the event but to a world title at the end of the year. I mean, literally, this last event, it was like. Jorgon Cruzanet, Jadson Andre, you know, like who gives a crap? We in two days, and we wasted good swell there's, for those two days. There's something about I'm I'm starting to stumble into the realization that both the World Surf League and the ISA, the International Surfing Association, are pyramid schemes, and so it requires somehow like something's happening. I don't know what it is, but there's some pyramid aspect to this. Who's the ones shoveling money in to but, pay out the top earners? It's like multi-level marketing. Like Jads and Andre must be like the fees to do these contests or something must make it worth it to have all these surfers on tour. That's a good and point. The, and the uh, fee is coming from Jadson's you know, there's something happening. There's something financial happening because it's dig it's, in, dude. You got to journalistically. I'm, I mean, for sure, the ISA is easy, right? The ISA has a hundred countries now part of it. Where I'm, mean, come on, how many how many countries actually have surf? And I get it. Surf culture is cute. No, you know, we can we can help the African kids. You know, but the Denmark and, team is not going to win the event ever. Do anything, but and they're, they're still going to they're going to pay money. they're going to pay in money, and so all that the math all this. that Danish money is going into yeah whatever it is. It, there's some pyramid scheme a- aspect for sure. I say, but I think also for the WSL, there's no sensible reason to run these contests the way they're running them. Yeah, unless there's and maybe the pyramid scheme. Here's the thing: is down at the uh, WQS level, right? Maybe right. these are maybe that's the engine of the whole entire thing where municipalities are paying for their three star blah de, blah de, blah and in order to to keep that pyramid that money coming trickling up uh, you have to have thirty two surfers for whatever reason dude even the hardest hardcore surfers uh, do not watch WQS events no no I don't does. even know when they're happening there's no. so many happening all the no. time around the world it's insane and all of these kind of D tier surfers are scraping together funds to go pursue this dream to become a pro surfer, which 0.1% actually qualify. They're out, they're out selling Amway. It's what it is. It is a multi-level marketing thing. Wow. Is the whole World Surf League. Wow. We cracked it today. Wow. Who knew that August 16th was the day that it all began to come tumbling down. Wow. Lawsuits. Mind is blown right now. Uh, um, so ELO progress report then. I'm going to give ELO from, I see, what I see is a lot of smoke and no fire. I see a lot of energy, a lot of hype, a lot of doing stuff, and nothing catching. And also a real lack of vision, not from him him necessarily, but a real lack of vision from the World Surf League of what is the content you're putting out? What does it say? Yeah. Is it just, again, the last thing they need is more positive noise? Yeah. That's And that's this positive noise vibration at a not interesting level, not boring level, just this constant, you know, dial at eight of positivity. Yeah. Just through everything, through their Instagram, through their press releases, through their contests, through, I mean, the stupid copy and God bless whichever poor soul is writing copy for the World Surf League. Their copy on their press releases is so embarrassing. Like, I just got something. I was going to write about it today. Uh, about for the surf ranch thing, right? Where it's get the 
get the $299 VIP ticket, I think it is, and high five your favorite surfers as they go to the, you know, run into the water or whatever. Like high fiving your favorite surfers for, and like, why are why are you writing that? It's all this, it's like weird junior high Sunday school camp vibe. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that I'm interested in that vibe. And yeah, so I will, I'm going to give, I'm going to give Elo, Elo, when you hear this, I'm going to give you a D plus right now. Yep. A lot of, lot of energy, nothing good, nothing that I care about yet. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. There's more content now than there's ever been coming out of the WSL, but noise. Very, li- very little of it is good. It's a lot of white noise. Positive noise. Yeah. Happy noise. Yeah. All right. Well, um, kind of segueing, that, the need for critical voices segues perfectly with this next uh, conversation. Online bullying. We beach grit. Surf fights. Beach grit got a man off. Got a man out of jail. Really? I mean, I think so. Are you talking about the carcass, the Mark Thompson thing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have that in here too. Okay, so there's been two two stories in surf fights. We'll start with Mark Thompson versus Jody Cooper. So, Mar- Mar- um, yeah, you yes, tell that's the story. exactly what I'm talking about. So in sentencing, so he got busted for dunking jo- Jody Cooper, and um, in sentencing, Magistrate Karen Stafford noted. The offense was in the upper range of seriousness. Quote, this is a quote from Derek Riley on Beach Grit. But also she took into account a submission from his lawyer who said that Thompson had suffered psychological distress as a result of online abuse, which was disgusting and horrifying. Ultimately, Stafford sentenced Thompson to 300 hours community service with a two-year community corrections order. Boom. So he did, he ultimately dunked Jody ostensibly trying to drown her to the point of I mean to to her what she said to the point where she had to f- go limp and fake that she had drowned in order to get let up. So like, this it was is a serious potentially an attempted murder charge. Yeah, and in the time that this all came out, but before they actually had the um, the trial, there was tons of online bullying towards Mark Thompson and his lawyer used that as a defense to say like, hey, my uh, my client has suffered tremendously. So it's a, a pain worse than jail. And the judge took that into consideration and I mean, arguably gave him a pretty light sentence. I, I mean, gave him, no, go, gave him no sentence. Yep. I mean, really, 300 hours community service. And I, the part that makes me happy in this whole story, not that there's any part that's really happy, but that for sure, 90% of that was beach grit, the online bullying. I don't, the, the, Australian press covered the story, but, you know, there's comments and whatnot are not, you know, they don't have comments, I don't think, on The Sun in Australia. Right. You stab, obviously didn't touch it because it's... It's... Controversial. Controversial. Surfer, I think, maybe mentioned it. I don't see it anywhere else. So it was, I think, more or less beach grit so, comments is what so got them off. what was the general kind of consensus of the comments or the general vibe of the comments about Mark Thompson? I mean, I just think that he's, a, he's not a good person and he's a cancer in the lineup and he's had this coming for a long time and he causes a lot of problems. Just, you know, that's the stuff that I read. Like, okay. just a very general... Not not kind opinion about him, and you know maybe I'm totally overblowing Beach Grit here, and there was some other forum where people were really teeing off on him in more vicious ways. But Beach Grits wasn't vicious per se; it was just like that he's not a good he's not a good guy. More he or less. harasses people in the lineup totally. all the time. He's lame. He rides a surf mat, which is embarrassing. All you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, by the way, he dunked a woman. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, which you got. I mean, my goodness, if you can't get online bullied for that or online critiqued. For that kind of behavior, okay. Then, yeah, the safe space has become far, far too safe. 
So does online bullying constitute real bullying, and is it hurtful? Who is it that said, uh, is it Tyler, the creator? Somebody laughed about online bullying and said, you, it's, you just close your eyes. <laughs> like, I mean, so, you... I mean, you get a lot of it, and I get, I get pl- sure. plenty of it as well. How, not... do you, how do you feel about online bullying? And I'm putting that in quotes, by the way. Sure, sure. The whole thing is... I've, I've never once felt anything other than, you know, a, a sense of either... Real amusement or slight amusement. That's it. I've never been hurt. Never. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I get. I mean, I'm. Feeling, are your feelings able to get hurt? Um, not not by online in real right. life. No, but in real life, like as a human being, yeah. is it? Are be, you sensitive? No, I'm not sensitive. Are you able to get your feelings hurt? Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. And yes, and I am sent depending on the day and what I'm doing. Like right now is probably my most sensitive where like in the middle of books, uh so I'm still toiling through the Middle East book. Um got deadline in 2 weeks again. I've already pushed my deadline, which is the first time I've ever pushed a deadline for a book. Uh, and so push the deadline, need more time. But yeah, I'm really sensitive right now. Like if somebody comes in and critiques not the book itself but yeah whatever like i'm i'm laid bare right Mm -hmm. uh and so i am sensitive and can be like totally have my feelings hurt but not with online stuff um do you think that mark thompson was hurt by the online bullying i don't was that just a ploy i have no idea you realize people are people are so literally commit suicide i mean there's stories in the news of course every year about people that commit suicide because of online bullying wildly sensitive yeah so i so i can't even say maybe he maybe he was so hurt by the depictions of him online yeah that yeah it caused massive mental stress i duress i um have a problem with the term bullying period yeah you know what i mean like it's now just a catch-all for any sort of kind of critique essentially when I was a kid, I mean, we all experienced bullying when we were kids, I'm sure. And so I think that it triggers some of that when you get it as an adult. Um, but I mean, there is a, such a thing as real bullying, which, I don't know, it's a team of people uh, abusing somebody and diminishing their self-worth and all that sort of stuff. And I understand what that is, and that is horrible. But the online kind of poking fun and prodding under a fake pseudonym has so little value to me. Like the fact that somebody's using a fake name online already eliminates their um, credibility. If I'm reading it and if it's about me, it's just like, oh, who cares? And then the other detail is we all know that sensationalism is what gets clicks. And so anybody going on there is just going to try to do the most sensational thing possible. So if you actually think that that is their true opinion or that it somehow reflects your value or self-worth or your work or anything like that, then you're insane. Yeah. You know, like it's so, no, no, no. People are just doing this using an expletive to get a rise. You're going to then get more upvotes and more retweets or whatever it is. Well, you know? it's, and it's just the, it's the tone of our time too, right? Like everything is superlative at this yeah, point. Like exactly. everything is crazy and wild. And, uh, I mean, I don't get, I don't get, uh, the, I, I can never even picture or imagine having somebody say something online in, in that way that would, hurt my feelings right. or that I would feel that I would feel bullied right like if somebody was trying to steal my bank account and all that then I could say hey man they're really bullying me right if they right. were trying to do something or you know 
change my identity to stick me up murder scenes or something like that there's real i would imagine there's Good real example. physical things yes. you could do online or online that would have physical consequences that would feel like wow i'm really getting bullied or pushed yeah. around here but talk i know well that's the whole thing too bullying i feel in real life there was more or less and maybe i'm wrong here maybe i'm my definition is too narrow but i feel there's a physical component always to the bullying either a threatening menacing kind of thing it's rarely just heckling right i mean i don't think heckling is characterized as bullying that's why it's called heckling uh online there's no even hope of physical threat i mean unless somebody's saying i'm i know where you live i'm going to come to your house and beat you up yeah but that's generally not what's being said and maybe that so not that i'm defending mark thompson but he lives in a relatively small community where everybody sees the same people at the coffee shop and in the sur- in the lineup. And so he probably felt like what was happening online and all of his communities reading it online. Then he goes to get a coffee and maybe he's catching sideways glares, but maybe even people are saying stuff like, hey, get out of here. You're a horrible person or whatever. And maybe he felt some sort of threat. He probably didn't, but also it doesn't negate what he did in the lineup to Jody. No, and well, so and you can't opinion, factor that into the sentence. No, in my opinion too, if it was what the judge said that it was egregious, right? Like if it was egregious, and he, there is the judge or jury—I I don't know how Australian courts work—but decided that he aggravated, like he assaulted her in a serious enough way to where she said it was the upper reaches. Then, if that's what it was, you got to do a little jail time. Totally. I mean, Completely. yeah, online bullying is no. I, maybe the judge had been online bullied and like Ooh, was really sensitive, sensitive towards her grandkid did yeah. or something. Um, so, did you see what Chris Cote posted? The comment? No. The terrible, vile comment? Oh, no. Did Chris Cote get online bullied? Yes. And he posted it in his Instagram story a couple of weeks ago. Like, as haha, look at this? Or, like, really, like, hey, take it. God, this is. This is he said this, this went too far. Okay. It was a comment, and he said, this went too far. Like, I don't know why people are so vile. And then his next couple of stories were, this one was funny. And there, there was a. So these were comments that were critical of Chris, but had a joke and yeah. they were funny, and they weren't vile. And I don't know where the original comment even was. Did you did it you read the original true. comment? Yeah, I don't even want to say it online or on because it, it's so vile. It's so vile. Yeah. And so there's so then that but it again I wouldn't even classify it as bullying. Sure. I just saw it as just like God, people are terrible. Totally. And hopefully the um, moderator eliminated the comment and also kicked the commenter off the board. Sure. I mean that's the thing at Beach Grit too, though, right? Is that just vile comments for the sake of vileness there's no place for that like it's got to be what's the policy it's that it's that it's got to at least entertain uh, so whatever it is has to entertain and if it's yeah. just vile for the sake of vile and it's not entertaining that's my personal policy but the but, the, but that's also beach grit's general and that's also subjective it's all subjective everybody's course. idea of what's entertaining is going to be different the person that wrote that comment probably thought it was entertaining maybe but i think that's what makes negatron our moderator so he's so good at his job where i think you can think of moderator as not a not important or like way down the line right of yeah anybody could be moderator just take out the bad words or whatever but it's not it's like the moderator is the curator i think for the entire tone of beach grit like negatron sets the tone so wonderfully and does it like with such an a light touch uh where people don't people understand that the conversation is better and the conversation he's curating is better with him and if everybody follows these 
totally vague, completely you know arbitrary rules. But then everybody does everybody does follow them, and when they're not followed, very rarely do people get a comment deleted and think, or they will sometimes, I guess, say, "Hey, you know why?" And then when it gets explained to them why, okay. Like yeah. very, very, very rare. I've never seen it on BeachCrit, to be honest. Of somebody who who got a comment deleted, asked for clarification, received clarification, and was like, "Oh, fuck you." Right. So what's the other detail about Negatron's job is he's not just um, an authoritative or authoritarian dictator. It's he's sensing the pulse of the community as well and Precisely. responding to the pulse. Precisely. So yeah. even there's feedback. It's a feedback loop. So we've had and we've had come you know commentators on there uh, who have. It's not rude or bad or anything. It's just like it becomes a broken record, yeah. and those guys get kicked off too, right? Just mm-hmm. because you're not the, you're derailing the conversation, yeah. and yeah, to to no point. And so yeah, you got to go in timeout. Um, part two of my question for you about the Mark Thompson thing is, um, are surf battles taken less seriously in court than land fights? You'd think so, because you'd think if Mark Thompson on land would have gone up choked her. and choked her out, there would have been nothing but some some sort of prison time, especially if found guilty, like he was here. I, I, I completely think, yes, that things that happen in the water, again, so we talk about it all the time, surfing is essentially silly. Mm-hmm. And so you have a man... A grown man on a surf mat. He's not even on a surfboard, right? Surfboard's silly enough. You have this guy on a, an inflatable pool toy choking somebody out. It's really hard, I think, to take that seriously. I agree. Even though it is serious. I right? agree completely. Yeah. And um, in the article that you guys posted on it, the video that you used was that New York Times piece about you know surf fights or whatever. And the photo is two guys in wetsuits. I think they're in like waist-deep water. And I already don't take it seriously. No. If, if it was a photo of two guys outside a bar, I'd be like, holy cow, Like, who's going to punch who? What's going to happen? Things are going down here. But you know, and I'm wondering if it's... I mean, the fact that they're wearing wetsuits makes it kind of funny. Skin-tight leotard, basically. But the other detail is like they're brethren. Yeah. Like they're kind of both from the same community. Nobody's really going to try to kill one another. So what? You get punched. No big deal. The, yeah. It's totally, it does feel, it feels, surf fights feel, even when they're not, feel like sibling rivalry sort of things where, yeah, on the street, just two guys going at each other. You don't yeah. know what background they are. You don't know, you don't know the backstory. Surf, a surf fight, you generally know the backstory. I mean, obviously, the, somebody got burned. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how bad do you want to punish somebody for taking your wave? It's really, it's even really, if you're the angriest person in the world. Essentially silly. It'd be really interesting. It'd be a nice uh, experiment. If any any listener wants to go do it, go punch somebody on land and then go punch somebody in the water and see what your sentences are. Yeah. Are we just, maybe, maybe we need two. Maybe we need one guy to punch a guy on land. We need a real scientific study. Somebody punch somebody outside of a bar and see if they get jail time. And then somebody, maybe you and I should do it. The other detail is there's going to be cameras outside the bar. Yeah. Yeah. But now with Surfline, uh, did you see... Oh, I know. Yeah, that's in my notes too. Yeah, we got old Skin Dog yeah. getting thrown into court or yeah, arrested. Or I don't know what actually happened, but uh, accused of yeah, so assaulting some bodyboarders. Skin Dog uh, Collins up in Santa Cruz from his Instagram. I was surfing small pleasure point with my kid. Two bodyboarders called the sheriff on me. They said I bitch slapped both of them. I got a citation to go to court. Surfline Rewind shows me shows them dropping in on me and I just pull my head hand down and push them back from hitting my knees as I went by. Interesting times we live in. Thanks Surfline Rewind for the camera. 
Surfland Rewind. And I mean, that Skin Dog accurately describes it. He's pumping down a mushy wave, and two people drop in, and he kind of just puts his hand down and pushes them back off the wave. And it works. They were going so slow that his gentle nudge pushes them off the wave. Sure. And um, it was definitely not a punch. There was no force behind his maneuver at all. And they deserved it. But they burned like they had it coming. But see, this this is where I'm just so out of my, maybe out of my time or out of my era or something. Like the Ashton Goggins principle of calling the cops, I just don't under. I fundamentally don't understand. I don't know what the, why those bodyboarders called the cops. Don't know why Ashton called the cops. Yeah. I don't understand the impulse that makes you call the cops. It the impulse doesn't have to do with the offense. It has to do with. I'm special and somebody did something wrong to me. I need retribution. But why don't you just go get, why don't, if they really cared, why weren't they, didn't they go find his car and stick sand in his gas tanker? I mean, there's, there's other ways. Well, that would require a certain element of risk. I guess. With no protection. Because if they got caught doing that, then you're going to retaliate again. Or Skin Dog is going to retaliate. I just can't imagine going to bed every night and waking up in the morning realizing that I called the cops on somebody for something so silly. And maybe those people can't either. Maybe they feel shame. Think, and that's why they're... Li- you think Ashton feels... You, I don't think Ashton feels any shame. I think Ashton feels... I think he's embarrassed. I think he feels severe, like sincere justification. He no. thinks... he's He's tried to justify it, but I think he's embarrassed by it. I mean, when I talked to him at Surf Expo, we both saw him at Surf Expo. There was an yeah. incident. <laughs> surf Ridge. There was Surf Ridge um, in the wind. That, I was thinking that the me and Ashton thing was an honest-to-goodness surf fight in the water. It had all the silly elements. It dealt totally. But between the yellow hat and my petting his beard. Like it, You're wearing sunglasses indoors. Exactly. It had all of the... That was a perfect surf fight it on was. land. It was. But when I spoke to him there, what I said to him, he was kind of arguing his side and I was on arguing my side of not giving the police report or not telling the cops that I would testify in court. I was like, dude, you weren't ever in threat. Like I go, if I felt like you're were you were in danger by from Chaz, I would have stood up for who was in danger. But I go, you were laughing as it was happening. You were giggling. All I had to do was put my hand on both your shoulders to separate it. So there was no threat of violence. So maybe it's a misunderstanding. Maybe it was all for show for Chaz. I don't know. But there was no threat of violence. Therefore, why would you need retribution from the authorities? Yeah. And the same thing with the Ken Collins thing is those bodyboarders didn't feel any threat of no. violence. They had a, another person's hand on them. And for them, that was enough to constitute getting the authorities involved, which, by the way, it's Santa Cruz, California. There's bigger fish to fry. Well, and, There's and, real crime happening. And Ken, uh, you know, as the camera plays, he doesn't he doesn't jump off his board and go after them no. or... or paddle aggressively back towards them no. he finishes off his wave and yeah. that's it i mean yeah. it's so there was no you know follow-up action that could have been deemed as yeah w- that those body borders were under threat yeah silly and i could think of countless times somebody else who will come up later in the show tyler brewer swell season radio yeah. in new york he was out here we were surfing together um a couple of months ago and he saw it a, i took off on a right and a guy took off in front of me the guy was kind of kooky and clueless, and I had to put my hands on him because I was worried that he was actually going to like eat Smash it and you. fall into sure. me, or his board would fall into me. That's always the worst. The the kook who takes off and does the face plant, plant yeah. slip where you get shinned by their board. Exactly. That's happened to me so many times. And that's what I did. I had I just kind of like was going to pump past him, but as I did, I put my hands up, and one I was kind of on his hind quarters and one kind of on the rail of his board and just i don't know if i even pushed but just kind of keep those things there while i'm pumping down the line past you you know and 
I never said a word to him when I paddled out. I we didn't even cross pads. And he so, didn't he didn't take it as aggressive, right? He didn't yeah. come back to you and say like maybe he paddled touching. out to his friends and was like, dude, what's up with that guy? I don't know. But he didn't say anything to me. Yeah. But you have to do that to protect yourself. Sure. And the way that Ken words it is I put my hands down and push them back from hitting my knees. So maybe he's like, dude, these guys are gonna clip me. I wonder if this thing actually goes because Derek I mean, Ken is fantastic. Behind, have you yeah. interviewed Ken? No. Yeah, he's a colorful character, yeah, yeah. like fun, fun, fun guy. Says funny things. Uh, Derek called him for the interview, and he couldn't he couldn't do anything yet because it's still tied up in the law legal stuff, so he can't incriminate yet. But I'm curious when this is all done to get his to get him to pop off on you know just even our culture, even the That's fact that you get yeah. that you get. I mean, it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. I, I completely agree. Um, I think we're going to have a strong adjustment. I think that's why MMA is at an all-time... Like UFC, it is in retaliation to the snowflake culture. Yeah, It's like as things get so bubblegum over here and sickeningly sweet, I need to see somebody's face get bloodied. But that's the problem though, is that there's this remove. I don't know that that'll... Like, I guarantee a lot of those people watching MMA, guy, other people's faces get bloodied, are cop callers themselves. You know, they go right. and then get someone get cuts them off, and they or they feel something, and they hurry up and call the cops. Yeah, like yeah, this removing this removal where you can enjoy violence when it's not you, but then as soon as your person is even you feel any threat, your first move is to call the cops. Yeah, very it, silly. This is um. There was like a psychological kind of fracturing and happening that's yeah. really scary. Yep. That allows you to be distance yourself from the humanity of the actual action. Yep. I feel like that happened, by the way, um, or certainly now more than ever. But when I was growing up playing video games and I would play like a first person shooter game or no, a driving game is a better example. And then I got my license when I was 16 and I was driving and I almost felt a sense of impunity while I was driving. Like I ha I would have an impulse to like bump the car next to me to make my way it through traffic because that's what I was used to doing in the video game. Sure. And thankfully I had enough sense and of reality to where I never did it. But you could see with somebody who's a little more fragile mentally or just disconnected from reality, didn't have as much of a loving home as I had to where those things can actually you the blur the line becomes blurred between reality and what you're doing eight hours a day on your computer yeah you know snowflake culture scary i know scary scary times we're living in um do you care at all about the olympics and the fact that kelly slater is going to be competing i don't know that he's going to be competing first because we have john john training hard right now i don't know about yeah that. yeah john john just because he's paddling across i think the he's ocean. i think he's serious i think john john will i think it'll be john john and somebody I think there'll be a real race for number two. So the way that I understood it from talking to Olympic head coach Chris Stone, formerly Chris Gallagher. Oh, um, why did you change the last name? I didn't get that did get story from him. I should have asked him. Yeah. Uh, but Chris Stone, the top two from the CT from a given country are the ones who go. Yep. So John John will not be competing this year. Therefore, he won't be in the top no, two. No, no, because it's... it's uh, Oh, that's a great point. Really? Yeah. So how's John? There's got to be some kind of injury wild card. I know that's thing. what I'm thinking too. And the problem was even Chris didn't know really. for sure because it's all still being sorted out and completely. Defined. And I have a feeling that even if they say the top two from the CT go, they will make an accommodation for a two-time world champ. Well, and John John was absolutely crushing the field this right. year when he got hurt. It's exactly. not like he was you know one, but there was uh oh everybody's. I mean John John was going to run away with this thing by 
you know, in my mind, he was going to win it. When was the earliest he could have won it? I think was I don't know Chopu. I think he could have won it at Chopu uh, if he would have won. Um, where where did he Brazil? get hurt? Yeah. Was, yeah, was Brazil the last one? Yeah. Doesn't Brazil feel like a decade ago? It yeah. feels so far ago. That's the it problem does. with these. When these contests are going, they feel like they're never going to end. And mm-hmm. then when you get a month between them, it feels like you haven't had one forever for the, your entire life. Yeah, totally. Well, right now, the way that the U.S. team looks is Kelly, Kaloe, Carissa, Connor, Courtney. Is Con- Connor as the uh, wild card? I guess so. I mean, I'm sure there's... Well, Kelly, Kelly hasn't qualified yet. Sure. But like... In theory, Kelly and it'll be Kelly and Chloe and Carissa and Courtney that would be competing. Australia has Gilmore, Nikki Van Dyke, Sally Fitzgibbon, Julian Wilson, Owen Wright, Ryan Callanan. Mm-hmm. Brazil has Felipe Toledo, Idolo Ferreira, Gabriel Medina, Tatiana Weston Webb, Silvana Liba, and uh, Tanya Hinkle, I think is her name. On the, on the men's draw, it is straight up gold. Silver bronze to Brazil, especially considering the waves that they're going to be. Surfing. Oh my goodness! Did you did you see uh, the test event? Yeah, zero to one foot waves in heavy fog. Yeah, I think that's a real reality. I mean, it totally. They and they could completely luck out like they did in New York and catch a cyclone. Uh, remember the Quickie yeah. Pro in New York, where it was pumping waves like the best surf New York has probably ever had, right? For that contest, where they just got straight up lucky. They could get straight up lucky, but if they don't. I think it's going to be bleak because even if it's just Huntington Hoppy two to three, like uh, zero to one, I think obviously is is probably seasonally bad for even Japan. Uh, but if they get like a two to three, and it's glorified Huntington, how is that a good? Sp- that's what it's I don't not, understand. People people going all in on this, and again, all, my only fallback answer now is the Great Pyramid scheme. Yeah, because someone's like. Someone is making some money here because there's no point. I mean, obviously, there's a point in getting serving at the Olympics, but everybody thinking that uh, this is going to bring a mass new audience. What are they thinking? Yeah. I, I do not understand. You honestly, they all honestly think that surfing is compelling enough in two to three feet, which you have to assume that it's going to be that, right? I mean, if it was, again, at Chopu or something like that, I could say yes. Very possibly, you could draw in a, a new audience from uh, surfing's Olympic inclusion. Definitely not in Japan. It's going to be the U.S. Open. It'll be the U.S. Open if yeah. it's lucky. Yeah. I mean, that's it's that's it's. Did you watch any of the U.S. Open? The surfing? Hell no. Yeah. Hell no. It's unwatchable. It is unwatchable. The U.S. Open, like on normal days, like when Huntington, and not because Huntington is a bad wave. I love surfing Huntington. It's a fun place to go out and surf. It is not a good place to watch surfing unless it's absolutely pumping. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree. Did you um, watch? Did you watch one wave? Yeah, I totally did. Um, did you like it? Were you like, ooh, sick? No, I feel the same way that you do. It's not a compelling wave to watch. No. I, I mean, I surf that wave all the time. So sure, I have a special kind of of course nothing against interest the wave. in viewing There's it. Nothing when I talk. Smack it's fun on, to surf. It's a great sure. wave to surf. But as as a viewing experience, obviously, it's not good. The one thing I do like about it, but this doesn't relate to the general audience, is that it sets up um, tactical battles. Sure. You know, it's like everybody's extra scrappy and fighting for positioning. And then like, so all that stuff is interesting to me because I'm a surf nerd. Totally. Not that I, I mean, I'm, I'll happily watch horrible waves, you know, for CT events uh, all day, every day, just because the, uh, exactly as you say, the t- heat tactics and all that yeah. stuff become interesting if you're a surf nut. Yeah. Uh, but for the general 
population, again, I get that people will tune in for the novelty. I'm sure the Olympics will really push it. Like, you know, we have, or at least the American broadcast will really push that we have these new exciting youth sports coming in, surfing, and, you know, and I'm sure they'll cut packages around them, Kalohe yeah. getting barreled at Chopes and all this. And then, you know, the day of, who, who in the world, who in their right mind, non-surfing person is going to sit there and watch Kalohe and Dino Huntington Hop in Japan? Dude. But it's way more compelling than so many of the other sports that they have in the Olympics. I mean, like the only value of watching the swimming, con- you know, is the the battle between the drama between one guy beating another. So that's really what it comes down to in surfing too. The surfing is way more compelling than watching the swimming. So focus on the dynamic between the two athletes. You may, you may, you may well be correct. Yeah. Um, do you have any sense or do you personally feel any patriotism? No. Me neither. Yeah. That's another thing I totally don't understand. Um I think it's I think part of that is because we're from such the dominant country where I yeah, think if I we were from a little scrappy I agree. Like if we were Canadians or Australians or something, French. yeah, we'd feel like some, you know, beat America thing. But when you're the best, I mean <laughs> It's just, Dude, we're slowly becoming the worst, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're the worst in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. But, but like, in terms of just the athletic dominance of the last, you yeah. know, few decades, I mean, yeah, maybe I'm going to get called straight out. Obviously, per Dude, capita, Australia crushes us. Like, maybe, the tiny little nation has so many good athletes. You know what, though? Now I'm thinking about it. Maybe we're actually embarrassed about being Americans. Are you embarrassed? At, among For certain reasons, I am absolutely embarrassed. See... Uh, like all the Middle Eastern travel, uh, you know, I, that was mostly during, I mean, during a bunch of different presidents, but eight years of it was during George W. Bush, right? Yeah. Which, so that's a real, you know, he was not a popular guy in the Middle East, clearly. And people would come up all the time, you know, Arab, whatever, Muslims yelling, you know, Bush is a dog, whatever. I'd always totally defend G-Dub overseas because I always thought it's a bad look to be embarrassed of your country. You don't have to be patriotic, but to be embarrassed of it. Always felt like a like it would felt weak to me. Where that's yeah, George Dub is our president. He's got a nice might be the right hat. stance in that specific scenario. But this whole snowflake culture thing that we're talking about, we're responsible for. That's true. We are the hotbed. Oh of my that. goodness, it's so so awful. I'm embarrassed about that. I'm embarrassed about things that happen in American culture for and sure. Even political leadership. Yeah, you know, like it's it's mortifying. It's a it's a junk show. So that's the thing I'm talking about. I was listening to something. Uh, recently and they were talking about like world war ii and the americans soldiers in the foxholes needed like you know chocolate bars and playboy magazines and that sort of thing and the japanese need like a handful of rice to get through the week yeah <laughs> and forget about the russians like the russians can suffer like oh, nobody russians are eating, eating snow yeah and they lost 20 million yeah you know and but they were willing to go they were willing to lose 40 million yeah because they don't give a crap yeah and so you look at that sort of stuff and you're like yeah i am kind of embarrassed about that and by the way that's the harbinger of the fall yeah always yeah like look at rome it's like when you're having orgies and everybody's fat and sassy and gluttonous you know that's the indicator for when things fall and that's where we're at dude we're really fat and sassy yeah we are a fat and sassy culture you know the meme i'm talking about right no but i just i'll send it to you (laughs) it's this old it's this old lady this old white lady with like stringy hair and the news reporter is asking what she's going to do this weekend. Like, oh, are you excited for the weekend? You know, and she's like, what are you going to do? 
I'm going to eat bread and desserts and get all fat and sassy. Oh, it's good. <laughs> it's yeah. So good. We are fat and sassy culture. We really are. Yeah. So that that's embarrassing. Yep. And so for, for the Olympic thing, like, I don't give a crap. Like, no. I, I kind of want to watch the best surfing. I mean, and completely. Even, that'll, and, be the fun, that'll be fun watching. Uh, to see, for me, the fun, again, now that we I've dumped all over it, the fun part of watching the Olympics will be to see if, on the men's draw, Brazil actually sweeps the podium. Because I don't see... Yeah. I mean, I guess they can't sweep. They got two surfers, right? Sorry. But uh, so if Brazil gets gold and silver. Yeah. If it's Philippe and Gabe, that'll be something interesting for the surf fan, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, But not for the general public. To watch two Brazilians, uh, I don't, you know, outside of Brazil, when it comes why would to, you care? When it comes down to the CT, that's how I feel, is I just want to see the best surf. Of course. Well, that's the thing. And as... Like, I think racially insensitive as some messages are about, you know, Brazo this or Aussie that or Seppo that, like where they're, they're feel, you know, I think to the casual observer, you could think all these guys are kind of, you know, specifically with Brazil are racist against, I think it's not racist, but xenophobic against Brazilians, right? And or racist against yeah. brown people yeah. in Brazil. Uh, but I, I don't think that that's true for the... I think the average surf fan doesn't like... And maybe, again, I, I'm probably treading a very fine line here. But well, maybe I maybe it is. Maybe people don't like Gabriel Medina. I always get the feeling people don't like Gabe Medina because he's the perfect villain. The way he shaves his chest and or waxes his chest and shaves his armpits. And he's got even a villain face. He's like Billy Crudup in... Or, uh, Billy Crudup too. But also, who's the bad guy in um, Titanic? Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Like, Gabe is our Billy Zane, I feel. And I feel he plays that up, too. And then maybe it comes off like, oh, people don't like him because they're racist. But I always feel like, no, people don't like him because he's the perfect bad guy. He makes himself unlikable. I don't think people dislike Philippe Toledo, right? I don't no, think any, love him. And I don't think any surf fan actively roots against, if they see Kolohe versus Philippe, uh, are actively rooting against Philippe there. I think very I few are. Like, no, I think I Kolohe has his fans, but... Yeah, I think I, I think you just want to see the best surfing. I think Gabe is disaffected and he's not effusive. Period. Yeah. So it's not like he's angry. He doesn't show his happiness either. I th- but I think he does a good job, and maybe it's all accidental. But he has done a very good job of curating the be- to be our bad guy. Right? There's always a good bad it's guy. By default, because he doesn't give a crap. Yeah. Him not caring makes us think that he's like. Anti yeah. everything, but no, he just literally is disaffected. He's focused on winning, but the problem is, he'll then go out at lowers and run somebody over. Precisely, but that's not because he's a bad guy. I think it's because he's disaffected. Sure, but I, but what I'm saying is, I like that. I like that his bad guy aura, whether he's again like consciously putting that out there, which I doubt it. He's just, yeah. I'm sure he's. And that's the thing about top level athletes like that. You you don't be a top level athlete in my experience around top level level athletes by being you know a good guy. Right. Like that's why good guys usually don't do great. Yeah. Where Kelly, extremely selfish, mm-hmm. like entirely self centered. Uh, where we get to see it now in funny ways blow out across Instagram and all that, right? Yeah. But this sort of myopic selfishness is what makes those guys great like and so it's i'm sure when gabe's out at lowers running people over he doesn't even see people he is so myopically focused on his own self that you boom oops i just ran somebody else over yep but that's but that's how you do it absolutely you can't have 11 world titles being uh sympathetic precisely your opponent do you think that kolo handino is going to find the selfish the killer selfish thing this year he's Mm -hmm. he's gonna have to keep kolohe if kolohe is gonna keep up there we've got a Jeep gold 
yellow jersey? The answer is no. You don't think Kolohe is gonna gonna dig deep, find that selfishness, no, and just stick daggers into his components' eyes? I don't. Is he just how far is Kolohe gonna slip down the rankings? I think he's a top five surfer all you know all day long every year. He could be. Um, he's got the talent for it and kind of the competitive drive, but he doesn't have that. Yeah, he doesn't have the cutthroat killer, killer instinct. Yeah, but you don't. And you do you think that he could get it? Do you think he could? Stare at himself in the mirror one morning, punch it until his no. knuckles bloody, and then just go out and too much too soon, dude. Eat hearts. Too much too soon. He's had millions of dollars from a young age. He lives down the street from where we're sitting right now, which is a really soft community. Yeah, you know, it's like this. The weather's always great. The water's always, there's always waves out front. Whatever kind of food you want is right around the corner. You want sushi? You want acai bowl? It's all right here. You can afford it, and um, that doesn't breed the contempt that you need to go out and cut throats. No, he's a good enough surfer that it, it's really, whether he has the world title or not, is really kind of more reflective on who the other people on tour are. But now there's too many guys who want it so badly. Who's your Gabriel. Who's, who's your money on this year, Gabe? Gabriel. You, you think Gabe's, Gabe spells the blood in the water now and is just going to go take it? I don't think there's spells anybody the that can from, thwart him. You like, don't think Philippe is too nice? I don't. Well, Felipe can't get barreled. And big waves. So they're going into Chopu. I my prediction for Chopu is full on mix up of the top ten. Yeah. Like every get everybody gets shuffled out. And the guys who are kind of in the bottom of the top ten, Kelly, uh Gabriel Medina, are gonna get shuffled Owen up. Wright are shuffling up because my prediction are the waves are eight to ten foot and perfect. And Gabriel doesn't fall, as we've always seen at Chopu. He's a robot out there. He's gonna sit deeper, not fall, knife in, get eights nines and tens win the event Kaloe gets shuffled down to the fourth or fifth spot and then they go into europe where notoriously gabriel medina wins events back to back and then they got stinking surf the damn pool which is which who won that last year i think it was gabriel I, I feel gabriel it was either Felipe. gabriel or philippe yeah. yeah and then pipeline yeah which gabe never gets less than quarterfinals at. yeah and what does Kaloe do at pipe he did, doesn't, doesn't do well yeah doesn't so i do think well i think it's Gabe's traditionally turned on in the back of the year, always. And everything is lining up for him to do it again. And I see Kaloe is finding his footing now, and he, he has a, a taste for number one. But unless you can paddle in at Chopes and get giant barrels, which, I mean, I, I, I guess Kaloe has done better in ba- big barreling reef passes in recent years, but that's not what he's known for. Will you give Kelly Slater a puncher's, a puncher's chance this year? to snag number 12 no you don't think so not a chance no. i so i totally said kelly will never even taste the quarters again i think on this very podcast uh before he went and what what was his last brazil what did he get what didn't he get up into the quarters dude i'm gonna have to look up stats now the semis he, he was did, somewhere up there oh karamas he did pretty well karamas but he did he did i feel he had either a semi-final berth or a quarterfinal berth very recent at the at, i think in brazil yeah, maybe. But anyhow, uh, Kelly conceivably conceivably could win Chopu if it's pumping. He can drop in, hold on, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. He can win Chopes. He and Kelly has a, a tactical advantage at Surf Ranch, like just straight up. If Kelly gets drummed out, at, I don't think he'll win Surf Ranch, but if Kelly gets drummed out anywhere below the quarters, then he's an idiot. At his yeah. own, the wave he invented and surfs 80 billion times more than anybody else, no matter Agreed. what he says. Agreed. Uh, pipe, if Pipe is on, 
you gotta gotta at least give him quarters. Yep. Uh, so he could win Chopes and Pipe. Yep. And he could win Chopes and Pipe. He could do quarters, Surf Ranch, and he could also do good enough in Europe. If it's pumping pumping beach breaky Hossiger. Yeah. He's done well at pumping Hossiger notorious like over the years a lot. But I don't see his athleticism is not at the level of all the other guys in the top ten. Sure, but but we're getting to the part of the tour where athleticism yes to scratch in Europe it matters in Europe it matters but to scratch over the ledge not that you're unathletic but Kelly can drop in and hold on yeah, I mean I think we were having the exact converse uh, argument last time where I was saying Kelly just doesn't have it even in barrels anymore but watching Kelly at the last event I had to reevaluate Kelly's fitness I, I don't think anybody can touch him when the waves are 8 to 10 foot in barreling I think he is the guy to beat at Chopes and Pipe more so at Pipe Chopes is so um, robotic that Gabriel Medina can contend with him there. Like, there's not a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, like, not to reuse the word jazz when we were talking about Josh Kerr, but, like, that is Kelly at Pipe. He plays jazz. He's going to find waves that nobody else is looking at at backdoor that look like a closeout, and he's going to get a 10 on that while Gabriel's looking at the pristine left. Kelly yeah. Kelly feel, feels like he's dialed in his boards a bit better. Do you know what he's on these days? You th- are you still disappointed with Kelly's I don't board feel like choice? he's dialed into the boards. I see him writing a lot of different boards. I don't think he's dialed in. I do, he looks better on his boards, whatever he's writing now, than he did all last year. Yeah, like last, year last year, it was embarrassing, I thought. Yeah. I mean, he was surfing so poorly. The, which the Aquila Ipas that he was on this year, the Wade Tacoros yep, look good. Yep. Yeah. He's found boards where he's like you're not looking at him skitter across the wave thinking, why is he doing that? Correct. By the way, his third place finish this year was at the Corona Bali protected. Yeah. And then since then he's had three ninth place finishes. Yeah. Um all right, Chaz, let's wrap up the show with Barrel or Not. Let's do it. I'm excited. From a listener. Calling another man boss or chief? I am so tired of that that I am a flat C, no barrel. I'm oh man, when I get it was funny. 15 years ago, the first time I heard it, uh, I thought, oh, that's cute. And then it's been 15 years of overuse, I feel. Do you like it? No, it's ridiculous. It's so... Yeah, boss. It's, I mean, like... Hey, boss, how you doing? I'll, I'll kind of give it a... I'll give it like a Surf Ranch crouching barrel if you're using it totally to demean somebody else. Like the waiter at the restaurant who's, can I take your order, boss? Where he's just like so demeaning me uh, with his use of chief or boss, then I'll kind of wink and nod at him. But people who use it seriously just as their greeting for another guy. Hey, boss. Hey, chief. Like without any, you have to have disdain in your voice, I think, to be able to use it. Is chief politically incorrect at this point? I don't think so. You can't, because you could call a woman a chief too, theoretically. But is it in reference to Indian hierarchy? I always took it, you know, I never, I always took it in reference to like chief of police or chief CEO, chief executive officer. Like, so maybe I'm the racist for even thinking. It's I think India. I think you're racist for even thinking of it. Huh? Yeah. I always, I, I need always to have a long, hard look boss. in the mirror, dude. I think so. Jeez. Yeah. All right, so we're going non. Definitely, definitely non. Okay. Unless you do it with disdain. I'm going to caveat. If you were trying to demean somebody, okay. then then as a, a slur, both of them are good. Got it. Barrel or not? Localism. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you can get a bigger barrel, to be honest. Really? Totally. What's, uh, once, if localism goes away from our beach culture, 
it'll be a sad, sad, sad day. And not just for retro stories sitting around about the enforcer who made me do this or that or the other thing. Like, no. But having local scenes that you feel timid, like feeling timid as an adult man is a valuable feeling, I think. To feel your heart flutter a bit. I mean, I've been sailing more and more these days. And that's what part of what makes sailing so great is this timidity out on the sea where you're like paranoid and it's scary where localism again when you go into just a way with no pecking order no hierarchy no nothing just paddle out and just surf what you will yeah, it's fine but when you go out somewhere where okay you i'm gonna edge to the closer to the peak i'm gonna try to snatch one off this guy I'm, i know i'm gonna cop a yell maybe or they're gonna I, I gotta be willing to back paddle and whatever right that's fun isn't it yeah are you not into it no, I, I agree with you completely. I think localism goes awry, and those stories then vilify all of the virtue of localism um, and undermine it. But I agree with you. Hum, being humbled is good for everybody. Yep. And Mother Nature will always humble you. The, I think the other thing that you and I understand about localism that maybe isn't fully understood by the rest of non-surfing culture is that there's a way for us to best the locals. Oh, yeah. And it's by showing up. It's by, number one, surfing well, but that's not enough. Because if you're just a local, if you're a sponsored pro Ripper. kid with a neon wetsuit that shows up, the locals aren't going to give you respect. But being able to surf well and then also pay your dues, yep. sit in the back of the pecking order, take a scrap, but surf that scrap better than the head pecking order guy is surfing a set. That gets you a little bit of respect. Show up super early. Then you show up early the next morning and you do it again. Yep. And you do it in the middle of winter, freezing cold, and yep. you do it on days when they don't even paddle out and you earn your place. Well, then you have beaten the localism. Yep. It's real. I mean, you can just become a local. That's the thing about yeah, localism. Exactly. You can, and it's not even, I mean, of course, people will, you know, where are you born? That kind of thing. But I feel that's less and less. And totally. you could be born in stinking Vista, California, live in Vista. Commute out to wherever you want to surf, blacks. swamis, blacks, all day, every day, and you nobody nobody cares that yep. you're no. I don't think people care about Val in terms of you're from the valley. Nope. If you're showing up every day, does not matter where you. You can live in Temecula. Yep, and that actually there's even more respect. Oh, you I mean, had to com- drive completely. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we're going barrel on local. Big old barrel. By the way. To give credit where credit's due, Surf Ads wrote the article for Beach Grit, and this was about who I was talking about previously, Tyler Brewer of Swell Season Radio Podcast. He interviewed Hamptons enforcer Stuart Bedford Broad, um, which I don't know if that was a typo and it was supposed to be Brown, because he was referencing the pro surfer from back in the day. Which is Bedford Brown, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, anyways, a couple of notes that he were in the article said, on receiving Grom abuse, quote, to be tortured, to be hammered like that, these are good things. He also said on the breakdown of ego, confidence, and self-worth by tribal elders, quote, they take it away from you, but they give it back to you in pieces. This is what the military does as well. Yeah. You know, this is a time-honored tactic. Tradition. And then on the treatment of outsiders, quote, there'd be eight or ten of us circling around a grown adult splashing him yelling beat it kook and the guy deserved it end quote yep which is true and this is the perfect antidote to the snowflake culture thing that we were talking about earlier yep this completely breaks down the snowflake like hey if you're out of line you need to be told that you're out of line sure you're not allowed to think that you're in line well and just and it's not just 
all for everybody, right? I mean, those guys, the local enforcer dudes, are that way because they put their time in, right? Yeah. They don't. They weren't gifted that position. They didn't. Parent wasn't rich, and so they were given that position. Those guys get to be that by putting in those dang yards. And so, anytime somebody just paddles out and thinks, "Okay, I'm gonna what? You don't own the wave. The ocean is free." Those guys have put in the most time. Yeah, completely. All right, final barrel or not? Bank robbing. Oh, uh, barrel. Um, I mean, ba- I don't. Yeah, my cousin's in jail for bank robbery. Uh, I don't know a better crime than bank robbing. To be honest, it's time honored. Back to, I mean, speaking of time honored, it's there's been great bank robbing characters throughout history. Yeah, you know, it's got a good backstory. It sounds cool, right? Yeah, I'm into it, dude. Yeah, you I've thought about it long and hard. Have you? Have yeah. you? Have you pulled up outside a bank? No. And sat in your car? No, I have, have thought, not. Mm. I have not. But the thing about it is, I feel like most people get away with it. Like a lot bank of robbers get away, with it. get away with it for the first. I don't know, half a dozen times because the banks, the employees are trained to let you get away because sure. they don't want to, you know, anybody to get killed on the spot. And the amount of money that they have in the tills or that you take is all covered by insurance and it's not a significant amount. But to the individual who's robbing it, it's a huge amount, usually, I would assume. And so aside, cameras aside or them seeing your license plate and tracking you down that way, you basically can get away with it. The crossing the line, that's mentally crossing the line to actually doing it the first time is something that fascinates me, right? Like yeah. we're all like to to the make bravado. to make that mental leap and to go up to the teller and say, I'm robbing you, right? Is yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean that's or fascinating to me. Yeah, it the is. People who to yeah, jump and maybe their brains are all broken in the same way. Or well, they're my, just my, that desperate. My cousin just couldn't stop though. Like he literally so robbed, robbed, robbed. Yeah, I mean he was a he was a successful guy, a full on successful bank robber. I mean he was that oh, too. successful guy. He was. He Fire. was. Okay. Yeah, he was. You know, a went to nursing school at Rutgers, uh, became a nurse, right? Like, which being a nurse is kind of embarrassing, I guess. But no, it's a uh, respectable, yeah. respectable living. Totally respect. All fine and good. Married, noble, kid. Even. yeah, all good. And then I don't know how. I think it was started with gambling, and then he got in some gambling debts, and just kept trying to. Kept trying to fix it, which, and instead of, you know, pulling the pin, uh, just saying, okay, you know what, I'm in a bunch of debt now, and I, whatever, got to stop, and whatever. He couldn't stop, and so it, you know, ended up walking to a bank and robbing it. So I think he did 20-some, mid-20s in Southern California before getting caught, and then did eight years, uh, and then, or maybe 10, eight, eight. But he, that was eight years with an attempted escape. Like, he made it into the parking lot of the prison and got tackled no uh, way. yeah and only eight it seemed i was thinking 20 odd banks in eight years always seems like a really good deal plus an attempted he, escape yeah yeah well it depends how much money he got away with well that's the thing is i don't know I, I, he wouldn't like i think sometimes it's a bit and sometimes it's less you never know right you kind of never know what you're getting out of the till because the you know they have to do the unmarked no die pack that whole thing and so i think you just kind of or he i think you kind of get lucky sometimes and get a couple I don't I never got the feeling that it was more than a couple grand oh that's not worth it at all yeah it's not it's not a big even if it's 20 20 banks it, yeah I think I mean I think he he maybe went over 10 a couple times that's not he, worth it then yeah it's not the payday is not or does is not necessarily big especially if you're not going to go down 
you know, down the line to each yeah. of the tellers. If you're hitting one teller, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, those guys usually don't have more. If you look at their till when they open it up and give you your cash, you know, anytime you go get a real amount of money or two or three grand, they have to go check with the whoever and go back somewhere else and then come back with money, right? Or that's the way it usually works at my bank. Yeah, so I need the vault. You, for this to be worthwhile, you yeah, and they and I think very very rarely do you go you go for the vault you're done. I mean I think it's really you better have a, be a professional bank robber. Like most bank robbers, just hit one one yeah. tail and you're out. I wouldn't do this half assed. I mean no, if no. I'm gonna do it, you're going. I'm gonna be in. like it'll be a bank by a lake and I'm gonna scuba dive my way out yep. to the escape. Yep. like it's gonna be legit. Smart. Thank you. Um, so what amount would it require for you to do eight years in jail for it to be worth it? Uh, assuming if I, that they can't get the money back, like, sure. Assuming that I you actually it. have the money at the end of the eight years, uh, I do. I do eight mil. I do a mil a year. I was thinking ten. Yeah, mil a year, eight yeah. years. Yeah. Then write your jail memoir. Be a good book. Just so you're going to utilize the time for your own. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's what I always thought. Is yeah, like, yeah, you, you go do time, and you you really utilize that time. Yep. Like, I'm going to get shredded and write the great American novel. Precisely. Yep. Precisely. Two things that I would never do living uh, in Southern California. Uh, my cousin maybe is doing that right now. He went He went on another bank robbing spree and got caught again. So. After he got out for the eight years? Yeah, yeah. Got out and right back in. Yeah. Um. So is his name, like, can people look up his name? Do you want to out him? Mm, I won't. But okay. you, you people, yeah, you can find. Like can there's find been articles. There's, article, there's, article, article, there's stuff on it, yeah. Um. So, there, Chris Morrow, surf rider, industry guy, clued me into a podcast. Ah. On bank robbery? Yeah. Ooh, is I'm it gonna good? I'm going to have to think. It was Stealing Nixon's Millions Okay, was the subtitle. But it, it hadn't... Like, so, if you just type that in to iTunes, you'll find it probably. But it was um, Orange County Register reporter who wrote this story and then made it into like a short limited run podcast seven or eight episodes or something but it was about a bank nearby laguna nigel okay and back in like the late 60s early 70s just get hit all the time or something no 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 not at all it was like back in that time there was literally one police officer for laguna nigel okay and obviously um nixon had the western white house and it was tied to some political action in like cleveland ohio where jimmy hoffa was it was like a union busting thing jimmy hoffa's involved and like they um, kind of steal a bunch of money from the unions. And so like the mafia, the crime syndicate there was like, we need to get our money back from Nixon because Nixon wasn't directly involved, but he's the political figurehead who is making legislation that put these guys in charge. And so Nixon owes us money is basically what it is. And Nixon, and what they understood was because through kind of mob um, backroom dealings they figured out that Nixon actually had been getting paid out and he had this western White House out on the coast and they had heard that he had all of his money stored in safety deposit boxes in not Laguna all Niguel. of his money in but Laguna some Niguel. of his money in Laguna Niguel at this small bank so these uh, mob dudes come out from Cleveland and rent a house in Laguna Niguel for a month to stake everything out but they they stand out like sore thumbs yeah. of course Southern California in the 70s beach community super casual and these Guido dudes, you know, who were renting a house. So they map this all out and they hit the bank over the course of a long weekend. They tunnel in through the roof into the vault and they have their way with it. And they steal not only cash from all the safety deposit boxes, jewelry, jewelry gold, all of it. And they get away with it. And 
there's so there's so little police presence they store all of their tools in the bushes across the street that is amazing and that even gets reported some kids riding his bike by and he like calls it in like hey why are all these construction tools in the bushes and they don't do anything about it so the guys come back on sunday night do more on sunday night come back on monday night three-day weekend do more on monday three days in the vault cleaning the place out they get away with what's and by the way this is the biggest bank robbery heist that people have gotten away with in american history wow yeah did they did they and they never got caught well so the fbi investigates a couple of people get caught but the reality is the FBI doesn't even know how much money got lifted because you don't have to disclose what goes into safety deposit boxes. I heard, I heard a horror story about a safety deposit box lately, or read a horror story. What happened? That Those aren't insured. No. So you can get your stuff stolen out of there, or your stuff can disappear yep. from a safety deposit box in a bank, and you have no recourse. Nope. There's some dude who had millions of dollars of Rolexes in one, went into the bank one day, opened it up. They weren't there. The bank's like, oh. You don't know. Sorry. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's so crazy. Why would you put anything in a safety deposit box then? Because you don't want the government to know about it. Yeah, I guess so. I guess yeah. that's the whole point. So they assume or kind of predict uh, that those guys got away with about thirty million. That's a good. That's a good take. It's a good take between like three guys plus whoever they owed money to back home that helped facilitate it. Um, and they did bust a couple of guys for other things and then recovered like two or three million dollars here or there. But I think in the end, there was like 15 mil that was unaccounted for. That's just. That's a good story. Yeah. Did you know that the record for banks, banks hit, a guy named Carl Gugausian, I think, or something, something like that. Uh, well, what would you think it is? What would you think the record the is? Record number of banks Re- or yeah. the dollar amount? Record number. Um, I'm going to go 80. Uh, he he hit just over 50, which my cousin almost caught him. My cousin was at, I think, 40-some. So then does it become just a principle? Like, I don't need the money anymore. I just want to hit the record. I don't know. For him, I don't think he, my cousin, I don't think he was aware of or uh, cared about the record. I just think it was not even a compulsion. I don't know what it, I mean, I think it's the only, you, he just kept backing himself into a corner where how are you going to get money now if you're a bank robbing fugitive? The only way to get money is robbing, you can't go get a job. I guess. Yeah. You just rob another bank. But also, I wonder if the compulsion kicks in at a certain point where it's like you have the bloodlust. Sure. I think that's the, part the of it. The thrill. But, but, and I can't stop podcasting, Chaz. Yeah. I, just, I need one every week. I get it. I get it. I, I mean, <laughs> I need to hear the sound of my own voice every day. Every day. Yeah. No, I have no idea. I have no idea because he never, he didn't think that he was going to get caught, too. That's a silly thing. I mean, he thought, you'd think eventually. No, you would feel a sense of impunity. If you get away with it 40 times, you'd think or I got 20 this. before yeah. he went to jail the first time, you would think, like, ah. I'm smarter than they are. I mean, that's what he thinks. Or that's what he thought, I think, as yeah. I'm smarter than them. Yeah. So, oops. So the guy that got 50, obviously he got busted in the end. He got busted in the end uh, by, he had, I think his whole thing was he would, he, I can't remember if it was one or a lot, of, but he would go set up camps in the woods and like suss everything out for a bank. And then what he had, he would have a, leave a bicycle in the woods and something else and whatever. And he would go hit the bank and then go in and change and ride away on his bicycle. Mm-hmm. And a kid stumbled on his setup, I think before he actually hit the bank. And so the kid told the police, the police didn't alert him. They just watched it. And so they basically caught him in the act. If you're willing to do something like live, off the grid you can absolutely get away with stuff like that yeah the i think everybody gets busted when they come back and buy a ferrari i mean that's that's it yeah that is it my cousin got busted i think how the 
second time having a girlfriend like yeah where you you just can't i mean if you're gonna do it i would imagine you got to tap out on having any kind of normal life at all you'd have to be anonymous i mean no friends no girlfriends no purchases or real purchases just yeah, yeah everything that's the trade subtle and secret what yeah. is that money worth if you can't go buy a new house with it or yeah. a new car or yeah. whatever it is that you need you know yep. so um all right, well, we got to the bottom of bank robbing. You we got did. a barrel on that. I'm yeah. got a barrel on it, too. Yeah, barrel. Yeah. I don't know how it can't be a barrel, unless you're a teller and it's terrified. Yeah, exactly. Well, don't hurt anybody. I mean, yeah, no. it's a violent, victimless crime. It's all covered by insurance. By the way, here's another thing that blows my mind. Not only is it covered by insurance, we're not on the gold standard anymore. So the numbers are just getting shifted on a computer screen. Sure, it's nothing. And I mean, literally, if I send you money, I'm not, first of all, the money that I earned, I never saw the cash anyways. Yeah. It just got shifted from my employer to me on a bank transfer. On a or, number. Or just on a computer screen. Yep. And then I shift it to you on a computer screen. Those banks are just agreeing that like, oh, we're going to honor this thing. But if you just hacked into the system and moved the decimal points, it doesn't come out of somebody else's account. Nope. The bank doesn't lose that money. The insurance company doesn't lose that money. It's literally just computers, numbers on a screen. Numbers on a screen. It's all you're we stealing. all just agree to. Yep. Does Crazy. that not blow your mind? That you can go in there and add five zeros to your bank account and they will honor it and nobody loses that money. Yeah, that's crazy. Somebody has to lose no, it at the end. Nobody loses it. But then they would just print the the... There's they gotta do. Be, the Fed just prints more. I mean, that's I'm, true. The Fed just does print more. Yeah. So, like, if you just change those numbers on, hacked into your bank, change those numbers on your account only, that number doesn't get debited from somebody else's account. Yeah, that's true. It would just add to your account. Man, victimless. And the Fed doesn't even have to print more because you're not actually going and getting cash out of a machine ever these days. Victimless. There's places that don't even take cash anymore. Most of Europe feels know, like doesn't exactly. take cash anymore. So this is all pretend. And I mean this is what cryptocurrency is too. Yeah. But this is all pretend. Did you did you invest in Bitcoin? Do you have yeah. any do you have any bits of coin? Yeah. Will you? Maybe eventually, but I mean I my mind is still blown on what I just said with actual yeah. currency that I haven't wrapped my brain around Bitcoin. Man. Yeah. We should we should we should stop surfing and just get into the crypto the crypto game. No. I think that is uh, a terrible idea. Surfing's the only thing that offers me a reprieve from oh. these chaotic thoughts in my mind from snowflake culture too exactly thanks locals yeah exactly well we've solved all the world's problems on all this of episode Chad. today yeah thank you to album surf i mean it's a beautiful place album really surf is. if you're anywhere near san clemente i said it last time i'll say it again it's you do yourself a favor and swing in just even to touch the board rails in the showroom just fondle them i mean rub them up fondle Pe them people love that people yeah. love squeeze them give them a little squeeze yep feel do the you, curves when you see people squeezing surfboard rails in surf shops like jacks or i don't know how often you're in jacks or Huntington service port but you know those big ones where tourists walk in and just like really squeeze yeah. boards yeah always you know, makes me real really cringe i've been waiting for rinsed to write a a little piece on this is just the fact that people when they go to size up a board like i did with those album boards right there i put it under my arm and i look and i look down the contours of it I don't think anybody knows what they're looking at. No. We all do it instinctively. Yep. You hold it in your arm and you're like, oh yeah, this, that, the weight feels good. I'm going to look down. Nobody knows what they're looking at. Absolutely not. Nine Absolutely out of ten. Not. I mean, the, the feeling of the board under the arm just feels so good. I've, there's so many boards that I thought this one's the sweet one. Yeah. Look at how light it is. And then realize, oh wait, 
I don't need a light board. Is awful. Light board is just making me skitter all over the place. The under the arm weight distribution is you and I are cluing into something there. We can't articulate it. Yeah. But the like, then tilting it into a different light, looking at the contours, you will see contours, but you don't know what that contour is going to do for you. Really turning the board over and really rubbing over the V on the bottom. Like, oh yeah, this one feels deep. I like that. Everybody who's ever done that in a surf shop, I mean, literally 99.9 of them have no clue what they're doing. I would invite the listeners, like, what are you looking for when you fondle a board? Like what specifically, if you, if the listener could, yeah, put into words what it is you're hoping to achieve by, by molesting surfboards. Yeah. And rinsed. Get on that. Yep. Word it into a creative way. All right, Chaz, beachgrid.com? Every day. All All day, every day. All right. We'll see you there. Until next time. Get barreled.